Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 20 of That's Not What Andrea Told Me. I'm Casey. And I'm Andrea. This week, we are talking jobs and job searching. This podcast will air during New Year, New You time. (laughs) And we thought that since it's a new year, we would air an episode thinking about that. Casey successfully found a new job six months ago. Yeah, seven, I think. Seven, okay. And I found one six years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm very fresh. Yeah. But what we enjoyed about this was it also got us reminiscing a little bit about our first jobs and and things Mm -hmm. like that. So you want to kick us off, Case? Yeah. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about the the jobs we had first. So I think my first job, uh, I was about 15. I was a summer job doing filing for the company where our mom actually still works. Yeah. <laughs> She's been there a long time. And then the several consecutive summers after that, I worked at the company where Andrea was working. Mm-hmm. I think initially just doing filing and office mm-hmm. work and then eventually working in collections. Yeah. It <laughs> was a really super fun. Builds um, character. <laughs> it, it did. It certainly did that. And then in college, can I say a quick aside? Yeah. And correct me if you think I'm wrong, but in my memory, you and I were having lunch one day at that company when we were both on our phones or whatever. I felt like, I feel like we were having lunch at my desk and you were like, oh my gosh, this friend of mine got a dog that she shouldn't have gotten. And now she's having to get rid of it. I was like, oh my gosh, let me see. And that dog turned out to be my sweet baby Weiwei. I think so. At a minimum, we spent a lot of time that summer talking about you getting another dog, what you would name that dog. Right. All of that. Yeah. Uh, But that would probably work out because then I would have gone back for school and then brought him back a few weeks later. Yep, exactly. So that's that's (laughs) one of my fondest memories of us all. Yeah. (laughs) But continue. When I was young and I could just up and spend 11 hours in the car at a moment's notice. (laughs) Bringing me a dog. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then in college, I got a work study, but unlike everybody else's work study, which was, you know, these super kind of lightweight jobs where you could work or sometimes you could also study. I got a job in the, and I can't think of what it was called, but it was the department of the college where like all of the repairmen worked. I guess it was operations. Uh, We call Uh, it physical plant at Montevallo, but I feel like it's one of those two usually. Yeah. I think they called it operations, but so I had to take in work orders and close out old work orders. (laughs) So I actually had to work all the time, Yeah, which wasn't great. I usually around finals, they'd cut me a little bit of slack, but I think also because I had already had real jobs where I you know was expected to work it was weird to me to like just stop doing that and do what I needed to do yeah then when I graduated college it was the kind of tail end of the recession so the job market was really rough and I didn't know what I wanted to do where I wanted to be I was living in Alabama so I got a job Uh, I had a couple of temp jobs and one of them was at a library in Alabama that in a community college. Yeah. And that one was really interesting. I think it was only like a week or two weeks of work. It was like a very specific task that we were assigned. 
but it was just really eye-opening and to people's different experiences a lot of people were coming into this community college without any basic computer knowledge so I ended up helping with that a little bit that was really eye-opening yeah then I was trying to find uh, a more permanent job and on the same day I got offered a job uh, at Wells Fargo I got offered a job in San Antonio making 25 cents more an hour (laughs) so I decided to move to San Antonio and I only worked at that company. I was doing admin work. So I worked with the executives doing their administrative assistant type stuff. And I just really hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I just kept thinking to myself, why did I go to college if this is <laughs> what I'm going to be doing with myself? Not that, not to say that that work is easy or should be minimized. Yeah. It, it, it was very consuming. Mm-hmm. You worked um, your just, you worked your butt off. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was always getting crazy like crazy things would happen. Yeah. Uh like the executives needed to go to India yeah. to visit the places where they were outsourcing, but they hadn't gotten their visas, so I had to fly to DC. Yeah. to get their <laughs> visas, but <laughs> one of them was in New York, so I had to go to New York first to get his passport like Yeah. It was like crazy, crazy things. Yeah. But so I only worked there for about nine months and then similar in the vein, though, I think that you'll, you'll get to someone I worked with at that company mm-hmm. said, my husband works at this other company and it's great. There's all these young people because San Antonio at the time and still a little bit now is a pretty family oriented city. So it's kind of hard when you're a single person mm-hmm. to find the other single people <laughs> and Rackspace was a really young company and growing really fast. So there were lots of young people. It's where I met Russell mm-hmm. and uh, we actually happened to start at the same time. Also Kobe, uh, who's been on the podcast. Yeah, Kobe. Yeah. <laughs> and I worked there for almost 10 years. I was a month shy of my 10 year anniversary. Wow. I think you've told me that, but I had forgotten. Yeah. It, it just flew by. I remember thinking on my first few days there, like, oh, I'm going to be here six months. Yeah. This place is a mess. And it was and still is a mess. But yeah. <laughs> I was there for a long time. And I had a lot of really great opportunities there, especially when they were growing a lot. When I was pretty new, right? you could take a lot of courses. It was almost like auditing a course. Yeah. You would go to these community colleges and it might only be a week or so, but it was like a really in-depth kind of quick course kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I got to do a lot of that, but the time had definitely come. Yeah. And so we'll get into my job search that led me to my now company later, but that is a, that is your journey where I am. Yeah. I love that journey for you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So my first job was tutoring And Casey and I couldn't remember how exactly I got that job. I believe it was a teacher at our high school. I think somebody knew that somebody was looking for a tutor and I don't know if they reached out to me. I don't remember exactly, but what ended up happening is I got the first tutor job and that went really well. And so then I got a second tutor job from that. And then I think I even got a third one. And then one of the kids that I was tutoring, I also babysat him and his little brother 
on occasion. And I loved doing that, which I guess should come as no surprise now that I tutor for a living. <laughs> but the other the thing, one of the things that was really cool about that is the first family that I started tutoring for, uh, they were the children of a, a very prominent, famous Houston news anchor, former news anchor. So oh. it was very exciting to be like, I tutor so-and-so's kids. Um, so, <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. And then while I was tutoring my good friend, Vicki, who we might want to have on the podcast at some point, she had gotten a job at Hallmark. And they were looking for somebody. And I said, okay, I'll go work at Hallmark. So I worked at Hallmark, Hallmark for a while. I can't remember. It might've been a year, maybe, but I don't yeah. know that it was too long. Just doing cash registers and stocking and things like that. Yeah. I did forget to mention my stint in, in retail. Oh, I yeah. worked at Abercrombie. Oh, that's right. I always <laughs> forget about that. Yeah. Me too, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So tutoring in Hallmark through high school. And then I went to college and I pledged a sorority and one of my sorority sisters was just talking one night at dinner or something about she waited tables and they needed somebody. And did I want to apply? And I said, okay, sure. <laughs> so I applied and I ended up waiting tables at that same restaurant my entire college career. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe I started in, on, in a summer. And then what I did when classes started is I just worked a double every Sunday. So I would go in at nine or 10 in the morning. I'd be done at nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night, just depending. And I did that for years and it was great. That was my spending money. So, uh, and I, I liked so, it. I, but I, you also would work, like you would take a lot of other shifts, right? I would, I'd pick up shifts. Yeah. But like, once I got on that double on a Sunday shift, like that was my shift. So then it was just kind of like, if somebody needed me to work, I'd do it. But yeah. You know, can you imagine doing that now? No. Being on your feet that long. I know. And, <laughs> and the restaurant where I worked, so it was in Austin y'all and Austin's very hilly. And this restaurant it's, it's, it's on a lake, quote unquote. It's more of a river kind of a thing, but the restaurant is multi-level. So if you were lucky <laughs> of sorts, you got a station down in what we called the pit, which there were three uh, sections in the pit and people liked to sit there because the views were incredible, oh, but sure. you went down. So from the kitchen, you had, first of all, is the furthest from the kitchen because the kitchen was kind of to the front and to the side, you had to go all the way through the top level section. And then you went down, I believe two stairs to the middle tier. And then it was four stairs down to the pit. And so, I mean, like I said, it was a good section because you were hopping, Always you know? Busy. Yeah. yeah. But that's one of dad's favorite stories is I was working one night and it was late. Somebody came in. I think we closed at nine on Sundays and somebody came in at like eight 30 or something. So they were one of the only tables in the restaurant. Most of the other wait staff were cleaning their stations and all that. And <clears throat> I am left-handed. And so I carried my trays with my left hand and I was hustling down to the pit. And I slipped and fell. And so, you know, it was two, it was a two top. And so then the, both those plates fell clattered, but my friends saw it immediately, ran back to the kitchen, said, remake that ticket. I mean, by the time I stood up, gathered those plates with help from people and went back to the kitchen, a new tray was already ready for me. So these people didn't, you know, sit for too long, but when I walked back, they were like, 
well, you were holding your tray with your left hand. That was the problem. It's like, yeah, that was the problem. Not that it's 830 and I've been on my feet for 12 hours running up and down these stairs. <laughs> and also people just slip. But so that was a that was a fun job. I liked it a lot. I I really think people should wait tables. I really feel passionately about that. I'm going to encourage your children to wait tables. <laughs> it's really good experience. I mean, I guess really anything in the service industry is, but yeah, but there's something a little unique about waiting tables. And I don't know if it's like the pressure. That's what um, I was going to say. I mean, I think you can't underestimate the pressure and the pace. Yeah, exactly. That you are moving. I mean, nonstop more likely than not, maybe there's a lull here and there, but yeah. Yeah. And I still, to this day have dreams that I'm waiting tables and I forget drinks. And it's like, I keep trying to go get the drinks and all these obstacles keep coming up in my way. And my goodness. Yeah, I do. And so I'll also tell our listeners. So my restaurant was a barbecue restaurant and I, I still enjoy barbecue some, But because I would, every Sunday night, I would leave just smelling like a barbecue pit and it wouldn't come out. Like I would Mm -hmm. occasionally I'd get be off early enough to go meet up with friends and I'd run home and shower, but it just didn't make much of a difference. Like my hair just smelled like barbecue sauce for like a day or two. (laughs) Well, I mean, but think about it. I was there for 12 hours, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I really enjoyed that. So I did that all through college. And then I was dating someone who already had a job at the Texas Capitol for the 2005 legislative session as a legislative aide. And he did some uh, searching to figure out who was still in need of some staff and found an office that he thought I would enjoy uh, working for. And, you know, figured out how, where I needed to apply, what I needed to do. And so I sent in my application and then what became an administrative aide for a representative out of Pearland. I also loved that job and mm-hmm. I loved, loved, loved my representative. She was one of the best people, you know, you just meet people that you're like, this is a good person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she has told me one of my all time favorite jokes, because it was while I was working for her that I got Willie. It was just, it was the chief of staff, our legislative aide and me, and then our representative. And so, you know, very, very small office. And so I had told them I was looking for a dog and my chief of staff had gone on pet finder and was looking for pug mixes for me. And so I got Willie. And when I told her that, so keep in mind, this woman was probably 76 at the time. I think she was a former school teacher, but she just had a wicked sense of humor. And so when I told her and was showing her pictures of Willie, I think I even brought him into the office. And he was a little pug chihuahua mix. And she said, I got to tell you this great joke. She said, these two guys were out for a walk with their dogs and it was a hot day and they passed their neighborhood bar and they're like, man, sure would be nice to stop in and get a drink. One of them says, follow my lead. So he walks up to the, the bouncer at the door and the man stops him and says, Hey man, you can't come in here with your dog. And he says, Oh, it's my seeing eye dog. And he goes, Oh, okay. Okay. Come on in. So the second guy walks up and the guy says, Hey man, can't come in here with that dog. And the bouncer looks at him and says, they, you're seeing eye dog is a chihuahua. And he goes, they gave me a chihuahua. That's one of my all-time favorite jokes. But yeah, so I really enjoyed that. But for those of you who don't know, the Texas legislature 
only meets every other year in odd years for about four months. So for four months, my job was really exciting and fast paced and there was a lot for me to do. But once, once the legislative session ended, it just slowed way down and they kept me on, which was really nice because not everybody did that. A lot of people would let their full-time staff go after the session ended, but they kept me on, but I wasn't as fulfilled. And at that point I was ready to move back to Houston. So I encouraged my boyfriend at the time to move back to Houston and I found my next job using, so I went to the university of Texas at Austin and there was like a longhorn network. It was like a listserv yeah, kind of a thing. Yeah. It's longhorn network. No, that's like our TV network. I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, there, there was some kind of online system where if you were a longhorn looking for a job or, or uh, looking for someone to hire, you could post here. And that's how I found the job at the finance company that Casey ultimately worked at in the summers. And the reason too, so it was two owners and one was a longhorn and one was an Aggie. And so they had posted to, to both. So, so I worked at that job for two years <clears throat> and it was good experience. I was doing account mm-hmm. management. So got pretty good at pick up the phone and calling and talking to people. Cause I've always been real shy and modest yeah. and retiring, <laughs> <laughs> but I liked it, but it was a very small company. And I just, I don't know. I, I didn't really love that so much then the company that mom was at back when Casey got her first job that she's still at today (laughs) was hiring. And so I applied and I got that job. I worked there for three years and then I wasn't super happy and I started looking for another job. And then I said, wait a second, if I don't use my GRE scores, they will expire and I will have to take the test again. So perhaps it's time for grad school. So I, I went ahead and applied and got in. And then while I was at University of Houston getting my PhD, I was a teaching assistant. And then I actually adjuncted for them in the last part of my career there, which I think Mm -hmm. was very instrumental in getting my job at Monte Palo. So I'll talk more about that Mm -hmm. later, but yeah. So that's my trajectory, rapid shifts to the left and to the right, every which way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so something neither of us, did that I think is a good thing to do is somewhere either right out of high school or right out of college is to take a gap year. Right. I mean, I, you have to work. I don't mean just don't do anything, but I think that, that you and I both felt a lot of pressure to like go to school. Then you get out of school in four years or you actually got out in three, mm-hmm. um, three and a half. <laughs> And then you get a job and you start doing life. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but you don't get as much time to really think about what do I really like to do? What do I want out of my life? And you and I have talked about this a lot. Being a 18 year old Mm -hmm. going into college and trying to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life is so hard. And I, I pretty well regret the major I chose. I think I would have been much better. I, I was a political science-ish major, uh, mostly because that's what Andrea was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really it was like, you took political science classes. So you encouraged me to just try them. Mm-hmm. And also the way that my school did freshman enrollment, they just put you in like a smattering of classes. And I really enjoyed it. But I think if I focused a little bit more on say English and writing, 
I think that's something I probably would have liked to do more. Yeah. yeah. Not that I can't do that now, but you know, yeah. it, it's nice if you kind of have that backing, I guess. Yeah. I just um, want to say, I actually had this exact conversation with, I, I teach a freshman intro class called first year experience. And we had their last class yesterday and I can't remember exactly what question I asked, but I asked the group something and one student said, I know for certain I'm not going to be a music education major anymore. Like it is not for me. And so I guess I'll become undeclared for a while while I figure it out. And I said, good for you. And I said exactly what you just said. I said, it is absurd to expect an 18 year old to know exactly what they want to do and exactly what they're passionate about. And so then she, then I was telling them like, this is kind of the beauty of our curriculum at my, at my school, right? Is that we have this wide swath of general education courses that we have students take. And I think there's two ways of looking at it, right? One way is I got to get through these classes to get to the things I like, or you can think about it like, that I'm going to expand my horizons. I'm going to mm-hmm. see if anything else piques my interest. And then if so, I can explore that further. So mm-hmm. that's what I told her. I said, just go into all of your general education classes with that mindset, right? Of like this, maybe this is the next thing for me. Let's see. But then also similarly to what you said, you know, so I took six years in between undergrad and grad school. I don't necessarily recommend that, <laughs> but it, all of my students that come through my door and and we do advising, I tell them when they're uncertain, when they're graduating, I say, take a year, work, rest, recoup. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, your senior year of college is hard and mm-hmm. it's just very, you know, brain thinking heavy, you know? And so <laughs> yeah. I'm like, just go or go make some money, go get out into the real world. And, and who knows what you'll ultimately decide. And I've had a few do that and they're, you know, they're, they're glad that they did. So I do yeah. think that there's some virtue in that. Yeah. Part of what gets hard, especially if you take as much time as you did, is the more you become accustomed to your salary, mm-hmm. the harder it is. And even with the new insurance stuff, yeah. you would have aged out of being on parental insurance at that yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, so there are those considerations. Absolutely. So, factoring that in is, is important. That's why I say are, a year, maybe two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's precisely what got me into trouble is I went from making a decent salary, all things considered to making none salary. And <laughs> like literally my first year, right. Because uh, I didn't have a TA ship my first year, but I liked wine and I had a car and actually my car was paid off. I, I, I paid my car off. I made my last payment 10 days before I started school, oh, wow. but, but I kept that car. Right. So then, you know, and anyways, so it just was very hard to, yeah, but you had a house. Like, yep. I had a house and yep. you have Mortgage. to live somewhere. Yep, exactly. So, <laughs> but we digress. So you were saying something. We're just talking about how I, I do think there's that sweet spot. Yeah. You know, so to your point, it needs to be a year max two yeah. before or after college. And the reason I do think before is four year college is not for everyone. It's not. I and can I say that with a hundred percent certainty. Mm-hmm. And there is absolutely nothing wrong in taking a different path, mm-hmm. whether that's doing an associates or going mm-hmm. to a trade school, Yep. especially if working with your hands brings you joy. Yep. Don't go to college and study history. Like yeah. that's just <laughs> a waste of your time. Yeah. So that's the part of this about figuring out what you want to do. Mm-hmm. 
But then beyond that, and you've experienced a lot of this, obviously, with the kids you're advising and all the kids that you see. It's not easy to find jobs. Right. You know, if you don't know where to go or how to use the filters and searches right. to the best of your ability. Yeah. And it's all changing so much. Right. In the last couple of years with COVID, a lot of industries and opportunities have become open to people that probably wouldn't have been because before, whether or not the job needed to be in person or not, it just right. was. Right. Whereas now there's a lot more remote opportunities if yeah. you can handle remote. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Sorry. I had to turn my heater down. I'm getting very hot in my fork. <laughs> you said something I wanted to pick up on. Remote opportunities? No, something you said before that. Oh, Using shucks. job searches? Oh, yes. So, you know, I was going to say that I feel very fortunate in that the bulk of the jobs that I have gotten, I've gotten, I mean, I got them on my own merit. I don't mean to say that, but I found out about it because somebody in my network said, my company is hiring. Do you mm -hmm. want to apply? And yeah. so I think that that's really valuable. And I thought something I kind of want to make, I should maybe talk to my students a little bit more about I talked to my first year experience students about networking and the import importance of networking. And I always tell them, you just never know when knowing someone will matter. Yeah. You know, I mean, you just, you truly, truly don't. And so I think to the extent that you can really focus on building a network that is broad in scope can really benefit you. I, I mean, at least yeah. that's, that's how it worked for me and just having multiple different friend groups like we've talked about before. Yeah. So I think that that's really valuable too. And just having those conversations. Yeah. I also feel like, you know, sometimes I think we get a little bit like, oh, I don't want to talk about work because it's what I do all day, but it's like, right. But what if your job is hiring and something, you know, you just never know. Networking is really hard. Yeah. I don't think that's talked about enough. Right. And some colleges do a lot better than others in mm -hmm. helping their graduates find something that is not something Birmingham Southern did at all, especially oh. if you were not planning on staying in the state right, or in right. city, which is uh, probably yeah. somewhat the perk of a school like university of Texas, because yeah. we're, there's so many of us yeah, we're spread the, all the over. Reach, yeah. The reach yeah. Is, is a lot greater. Yeah. Um, I think you're definitely right about that, but even Trinity where Russell went, it, it was a combination. I think of, he had so many friends that were older and younger. So he had right. some that were already in the workforce, but then they also had like a decent kind of assistance right. uh, program. But I think he actually found his first job out of college from exactly what you're describing, right? right. It was like somebody knew somebody, I mean, talk about crazy springboards. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Russell has been all over the place, sold all kinds of things. He is the penultimate salesman. Yeah. <laughs> if we're ready to talk about yeah. interviews. I think so, because uh, this is where I think it's going to be interesting because this is where you see the big difference between non-academia and academia. Yeah. So. Corporate America. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. So for the job at the insurance company where I was an admin, it was so simple. It was, I think one interview, mm -hmm. I got the job, they told me what they're going to pay me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I said anything else about yeah. that. Uh, I think I just took it. 
so for, since then I've been in, in technology. So my first interview with Rackspace was three panels of three people. Mm -hmm. So you're there for roughly three hours. I did not get that job. And after leaving the interview, I didn't want it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was the account management, like what you did, but in a much more like frenetic environment, because there was like a rotating call where you had to be on call for after hours. Okay. And that's just not something I was interested in. <laughs> yeah. Then they called me back and were like, yeah, come in for this other job. And they didn't really clarify what it was. So I really had no idea what I was going in for, mm -hmm. uh, which is never advisable. Yeah. <laughs> you're going into an interview, but it was the same thing. It was three panels uh, of two or three people. Mm -hmm. And one thing I remember about, I got when I get nervous, I get hot. Mm -hmm. And it was like one of those things where I just, I just think I just sweated the <laughs> yeah. whole time. Yeah. Because at the time I actually had our sorority on my resume because I didn't really have a whole lot of job experience, but I, I was the president of yeah. my chapter of the sorority. So to me that demonstrated leadership. Absolutely. Whatever. Conflict resolution. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But one of the interviewers just thought that was really silly huh. that I, I had that on there. So, but someone else was like, I think that's fine. She's 22 years old. Yeah. Or, yeah. And then from there, I just did a bunch of internal interviews. So it was really that same structure though. It's yeah. Two to three panels of two to three people. Right. Then so starting interviewing more recently, I started in November of 2020 mm -hmm. and I didn't, get a job until April mm -hmm. of 2021. Mm -hmm. There were, there was a period of time in there where I was not uh, really actively looking or interviewing, but for the most part, I was at least relatively active, like in replying to recruiters and things mm -hmm. like that. It was tough. I did most of my searching on LinkedIn and I would reply to recruiters who were reaching out to me, or I would look for companies that are you know, big in tech. Like I actually, I should pull up. I have notes on all of my interviews or most of them anyways. All in all, I don't know the total number of interviews I did, but it was insane Yeah, because you talk to the recruiter first mm -hmm. and that's usually like half an hour. And I think I made it past all but one recruiter. Okay. So from there, then it, it's like one of two things you talk to a hiring manager or you go straight into the panels. Right. The worst one was a company who had me do nine interviews, nine 45 minute interviews. I remember that. Because um, it wasn't panels. It was all individuals. Right. So it was over the course of like two weeks because I feel like it fell over. It's like some holidays or something, mm -hmm. maybe President's Day or something. Yes, but, because I was there. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it was so much, right? And they were, they were 45 minutes and they were all virtual. So it's not like I was going to and from an office. Still, that doesn't but, make it less exhausting. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, they said, they just aren't sure you've got enough experience. And I was like, but you knew how much experience I had going in. Yeah. So that was frustrating. I also interviewed at Amazon and Google. Yeah. Right. Those were really interesting in their takes. So they both kind of pride themselves on preparing candidates mm -hmm. for the interview. So 
Amazon tells you, make sure you look at all of these, like this list of things we think are important in candidates, make sure you know the company values, all those kinds of things. I think I might've done two interviews with, with Amazon actually, or maybe it was just a lot of panels. And then with Google, they ask you really obscure kind of questions. They're just thought-provoking questions, Mm -hmm. I guess. And I think they could potentially have an answer, but so that, those were really odd to me. I remember that a little bit because Venchi was going through that when I was there in 2020 and he was interviewing for data positions with Mm -hmm. tech companies. And I just remember thinking, this is insane. Mm -hmm. Like they basically, he would have to do a written test each mm-hmm. time, like each round, right? So he'd make it through the recruiter, then he'd make yeah. it past the hiring manager, then he'd have to do a test. And like some of them, it was like, you have 24 hours to do this test. I mean, it's just madness. It is. <laughs> yeah, I feel like tech companies are a, a different bird. Yeah. Personally. But I think putting candidates through the ringer is becoming more normal. You think so? Yeah. Cause like um, definitely when I applied at the uh, insurance company where our mom works, I, I remember having to take some type of a test on a computer, mm-hmm. but I don't, I wasn't anything crazy. I don't remember what I, they were trying to determine. And then I had an interview. <laughs> yeah. Like I sat at a conference table and they asked me some questions. Yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that that's all it was. Yeah. And I, maybe it changes too, as, as the perceived complexity of, of a of role the job changes. changes. Yeah. yeah. Um, we should ask mom. She just applied for yeah. a new job. So if she, we should ask her. Yeah. And I mostly mean for account management and claims positions, right. a lot of that is like interpersonal skills. Right. And less job skills. Right. Right. So I guess if you can d- demonstrate that you can pass the test and also you, right. that you have some degree of interpersonal skills, yeah, then that's it's like, true. okay, great. Yeah. Cause uh, past that, you're just, you're learning their system, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that. So yeah, the, I guess that's right. The degree of technical mm-hmm. product is not as much. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. It, yeah. Like, so what you were describing with Vinci, like he has to demonstrate that he knows how to be a data scientist right I don't know what that means (laughs) I don't either I get into a weird spot with what I do because it can be highly technical or it can be more strategic Mm -hmm. and I tend toward the strategic side right because I again was a political science major not (laughs) an IT major yeah right but yeah that whole process was just grueling and that was actually one of the things that I liked with the company where I I landed is that it was I mean it was like a three-stage process Mm -hmm. but they were short it was like a 30-minute hiring manager uh, meeting and he was like yeah like I like you but talk to these two people yeah or maybe it was even just one person And then I think that guy gave me the thumbs up. So then I had to do a presentation, Mm -hmm. which was really to just talk about me, talk about how I do my job, Mm -hmm. and then to demonstrate that I can do that job based on this set of criteria they gave me. Yeah. And apparently I did pretty well. (laughs) 
Of course you did. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> funny. I just said, oh, we're going to see the differences between academia and non-academia, but actually maybe that's not right. <laughs> maybe I was thinking about that from the aspect of the types of jobs I was applying for prior to mm-hmm. grad school. And so the way the academic job market works is, as we all know, there are universities all over the place. <laughs> so the way that the academic job market works is that there are schools everywhere, right? And there are disciplines. So I am a political scientist, but within political science, there are six subfields. So, and, and every graduate institution handles it a little differently in terms of how you sort of quote unquote major and minor. So at my graduate school, you, you in essence have two majors and a minor. So my two fields were American politics, public policy, and then my minor field was comparative politics. And so So then when it comes to jobs, not only am I looking for a university that needs a political scientist, but I'm specifically looking for a school that needs someone who does public policy and American institutions, which is even more specific because within American politics, you can study institutions or behavior. So like public opinion and voting, whereas I'm more of an institutions person, right? I initially went out on what we sort of call like a soft job market search where like there were two schools that my advisor was like, I don't think you're quite ready yet, but these would be good jobs. So, you know, let's see what we can do. I applied, didn't get any interviews and it's not uncommon in academia that you apply and you may not ever hear anything ever from that school ever again. That is not Hmm. uncommon. And so the year that I fully went out on the market, I applied to 26 schools all over the country. Because again, if you think about the sort of specifics, you have to find somebody who needs what you do. I was willing to let geography not be a factor. So I applied to South Dakota and California and Boston. I think one of the places where academia is tough is your job market packet is Uh insane because you need a writing sample. That's usually a chapter of your dissertation or a publication. So you're looking at like a 25 to 30 page writing sample, Mm -hmm. uh, your CV, a teaching statement, a research statement, a cover letter, right? So you write a whole bunch of materials. So yeah. So I applied to all of those schools. I, and then I think through this podcast, I'm learning, I just have a semi-charmed kind of life. I got one uh, request for a Skype interview. And so it was actually Skype at that time. (laughs) And uh, I remember I dressed in my suit and my dissertation advisor was like, use my office for the interview. So it's quiet because I I was on campus because I was teaching. But the other funny thing, well, I'll I'll finish telling the story and then I'll, I'll tell the piece about why it's who you know matters. (laughs) So anyways, so I do the interview. It goes very well. About a week later, they ask me to fly out. So I fly out. And the way a fly out typically works is two people pick you up from the airport and take you to dinner. And then you go to your hotel, you sleep, and then usually somebody else will come pick you up in the morning, talk with you a little bit. And then you start your series of meetings. And so I first met with our chair, then I met the dean, then I met the provost, then I met HR, then I had lunch, and then I had about 30 minutes to myself 
where to prepare for my job talk, because depending on what kind of school you're applying to, if it's a research school or a teaching school, you have to do a job talk. And I'm at a teaching school. And so I then did uh, my job talk, but it was an ice day. Snowmageddon had just happened in Alabama, <laughs> yeah. Georgia, et cetera, like two years prior. So people were still very, very gun shy about that. Mm-hmm. And so the university closed and there were just a few people that were willing to sit there with me. So I ended up giving my job talk really only to my committee, Stacia, our admin, and two or three students. Whereas normally, like my friend Rachel's job talk probably had 30 people in it, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, and then I remember Scott, who is now my senior colleague, was like, we got to get you to the airport. So I went on to the airport. And I remember I called you and mom because y'all were both in Houston because your bridal shower was the next morning. And so I was like, I hope to God I get out. <laughs> but if oh, you remember, I called y'all from the Jim and Nick's in the Birmingham airport. And I said, I have not had a minute to myself all day. Like I didn't even go to the bathroom alone because oh I'd gosh. be like, where's the bathroom? And somebody like, oh, I'll show you. I need to go too. And so then it's like, you're in the bathroom talking to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just remember being so whooped. But then a week or two later, they called and offered me the job. So one Skype, one fly out and a job, which That's is awesome. very, very lucky. Um, yeah. very, very, like insanely lucky. But what I wanted to say about knowing people is when I got the Skype interview, it's always very exciting and for anybody within this world. Right. And so all my friends in grad school knew like, Oh, Andrea's got an interview. We're all really excited. And <laughs> I was talking to my friend, Roger, and I said, it's the University of Montevallo. He said, I know that name from somewhere. I said, oh, I doubt it. It's a tiny, tiny school in, in Alabama. I don't know why you would know it. He's like, I think I know that school. And somehow he figured it out. When Roger was an undergrad at A&M, TA was teaching a class, a policy class to him. That person was finishing up his PhD, went on to get his PhD and get a job at Montevallo. And so this is Carl. So my other political science colleague, we had that connection. And so, and I had taught a a social policy class. And when I was trying to pick the textbook, my friend Roger said, you know, I took one at A&M and my professor used this text and I really liked it. I was like, great, I'll, I'll give it a try. And I did, I used it and I loved it. I still use it today and or parts of it anyways. And so when I was ending on the, the Skype call, they said, do you have any questions for us? And I said, well, I don't have any questions, but I just want to say, you know, to Carl, and I told him that connection and it set me apart for sure, for sure, you know? Yeah. So, but I really do think because the University of Montevallo has a 4-4 teaching load, which is a very heavy teaching load, because I was already teaching a 4-4 at UH, and not only was I teaching a 4-4, but I was teaching a 4-4 with approximately a thousand students. Whereas, you know, at Montevallo, it's a 4-4, but with about a hundred students. And I really think that that was the other reason that they looked at me as seriously as they did. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, she won't come here and die from the- <laughs> <laughs> So, and I mostly haven't. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, but yeah, but it's, it's a very, it, the reason I said maybe there are more similarities than I thought is because it's the same kind of intense, like mm-hmm. person after person after person after person. Um, yeah. I just happened to be getting shuttled across the campus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but oh man. Yeah. So it's crazy. I mean, 
we'll see if things go according to plan, I'll never apply for another job again. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But I got to get that tenure packet turned in. You know, it's due the same day that BB's coming. Oh, man. Yep. Oh, January 28th. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that'll be easier to remember then. Yep. But yeah, so that's, those are our experiences. Yeah. Hopefully, if you're uh, about to start applying or you're thinking about it, that will help you. When we, when we talked about this episode back in, what, January of last year? Sure. Um, I had all kinds of things fresh in my mind that mm-hmm. I wanted to go on a diatribe about. Yeah. Um, but now... I have been interviewing people to come to my company. Yeah. So now I have diatribes on the other side, which is (laughs) update your resume. Yeah. I I don't necessarily hold with that. You have to tailor your resume to every job you apply for, which is a thing people say now, but there were several where the person's latest position, like wasn't even what was listed first. That drove me really crazy. Yeah. And I think it's important to look professional. So like you were talking about wearing your suit on your Skype interview. When I was interviewing, I didn't wear a suit, but I wore a blazer. Mm-hmm. It was business on top, party on the bottom. Sure. So it's probably sweatpants on the bottom. I say as the, that's how most of us live our lives these days. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that's important. Is it the most important thing? No, but does it, to your point, if it's a close race, you want to have those things that, that are going to set you apart. Yeah. Uh, and then something we didn't talk about is, and not that this is my strong suit by any means is negotiating your salary and oh yeah yeah let's let's save that for a podcast that we release near equal pay day okay which is during women's history month (laughs) I like it yeah because I think we've gone a decent yeah I don't I forgot to start our timer so we've just been a talking just talking it's what we do (laughs) (laughs) well little bit I'm glad that you took the route where you make a lot of money so I don't have to (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to contribute what I can while I can (laughs) And we do want to remind everybody that uh, we are always taking topic suggestions. You can email them to us at tinwadampod at gmail.com. It's that's not what Andrea told me, just abbreviated. Or you can slide into our DMs and or just follow us on Instagram Mm -hmm. at uh, tinwadampod underscore podcast we also post we post fun pictures we've been talking about the forts a lot lately and there'll be some forthcoming fort photos (laughs) i've got the evidence (laughs) so yeah so please follow us send us an email reach out to us many of you have our phone numbers you could also text us (laughs) all right little bit true love talking to you love talking to you all right love you bye bye